you're listening to the Living Word Church Podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordli.org. Today's message comes from our lead pastor, Doug Jansen. A couple weeks ago, I was at 7-Eleven, and I don't know if you've been at the one right here on Townline, closest to the church. You know, I go there often just to infuse my body with healthy things, and so I uh, got the Slurpee cup. And, uh, and, and here's what I noticed, this picture, and you won't be able to read it really, but this picture, it says how to make a Slurpee. They drew a little picture, they explained the whole thing, and I'm thinking to myself, what a sad commentary on our culture, that you have to have a note at the 7-Eleven explaining how to make a Slurpee. That is so basic, we should all know how to do this. Nine seconds later, this is what my Slurpee looked like. So... I am why that note is there, okay, just to let you guys know, apparently. But I was thinking about how this happened, then I'm trying to clean it up. It was, it was one of the first days I went out, out without my bandage on here, because I'm starting to heal up more. And so I'm trying to clean it all up, and it's messy, and then it actually dri- dribbled down into my wound, so now that's like, I'm like, oh my gosh. And I'm thinking, man, isn't that so much what life is like sometimes, you know? It's like, I so, I, I've got this, it's under control, it's easy, right? And then all of a sudden, it just overflows, and then all of a sudden, next thing we know, it's kind of dribbled over into our wounds and there's all kinds of problems and pain. And today, as you know, if you've been around, we're going through this this series on Acts and we just are asking questions that the scriptures are bringing up. So it's not like I sit there before the service and go, let me come up with a few questions that we can answer here. No, we're looking through the scriptures and we're finding our questions from what the scriptures are going to show us and give us the answers to. And so the first question kind of goes right off that opening story, like like the pain that we sometimes experience and the things that kind of overflow and the messes that are made. Uh, my question number one for us today is what will we do when life throws its worst at us? You know, when tragedy strikes, when we lose our job, when someone we love passes, when a relationship ends, when we're just about to finish college and the funding is taken or the school closes or there's just something that has gotten in the way. We're going to talk about that. Kind of piggybacking that question is question two. How can God use us when life is at its worst? See, there's something very special God can do in us and through us right in the middle of those painful situations when life is at its worst. Question three, some of you are asking this today, some of you watching online are asking this question, how can I be saved? How can I be saved? I believe some of us are just like, what does that look like? Do I have to jump through a bunch of hoops? Do I have to do a whole lot of things? Do I have to take a class? Do I have to be a member? Like, what does it mean to be saved? I wanna take a quick moment and just say, Uh, I reached out to you on the stream, but someone wrote on the stream just before I was about to come up here that they wanted to take their life. It's not someone that I know, but I wrote you and also just want to say right here, right now, your life has purpose. God loves you. Do not take your life. There is so much to live for. And uh, so stay tuned, but hey, write me back and we love you and we're here for you. Question four, what should be filter for all of life? What should be my filter? So uh, we're trying to find our way in life. We're trying to make decisions. We're trying to make choices and, and values and belief. Like, is there something that should filter all of that? Like, how do we figure out where we find those values? And question number five, how can being a student, everybody say student. How can being a student of culture and not just a critic, say critic, Not just a critic of culture help us point people to Jesus. And this is huge, and we're going to dig into this today. How do we not just shake our fists at culture and yell at culture? How do we become a student of culture so that God... Ooh, I got something flying on me here, huh? How do we become... What was it, a fly or something? A wasp. I got stung four times in the last two weeks. So in Jesus' name, take it off. Wow. All right, cool. 
Well, how can we become a student of wasps and not, no, how do we become a student of the culture and then use that to our, our, our ability to point people to Christ? So I've got my dust buster here in case he comes again. I'm just going to suck him right in here. We're going to be good to go. More on this later. It's not just randomly here, all right? Wow, he really knew that bee was coming. All right. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we're so glad that you're here with us. And um, man, today I'm going to speak with you specifically several times throughout the message. So Acts 16, 16, let's jump in. We get right into a really interesting story. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, this is very interesting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. So a couple things jump out at me. First of all, you have this girl who is possessed by a demonic spirit and she's fortune telling, right? She would make money for her owners by fortune telling. But here she is declaring how to get saved. Isn't that interesting? A couple of things that jump out. First off, the devil knows the truth, doesn't he? All right, the devil knows how we find salvation. And I love that God is kind of overruling overruling that power even in that moment. And and you hear this even through this kind of strange means, like the truth is coming out. And I just want to say as a side note to you today, if you know the truth, okay, don't be like Satan who just knows the truth but doesn't respond to the truth, okay? Know the truth but respond to the truth. When I was about 15, I had two friends and two friends only. No, I had had two friends, and they both knew the truth but didn't respond to it. They would literally say, we know that Jesus is the way to heaven. We know it's all real, but we just want nothing to do with it. We just want to kind of have our fun, and we'll figure that, that out later. I still know these guys in their late 40s now, and both of them are walking with Jesus, thank God, but they've got about a 10 to 15 year chunk of their life that they regret. So don't know the truth, but not respond to the truth. Let's know the truth, but respond to it. But I I just love that the message is even getting out there, even though it's like, wait, this is a strange way for this message to be communicated. Let's keep going. Verse 18. She kept this up for many days. So for days, she's doing this, following them and saying, these are the servants of the Most High God and telling you about salvation. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. So again, praise God for his power, that he's way bigger. This is not a contest. But I love that he sets her free. Why does he set her free? Well, I think part of it is just to be compassionate to this young woman who is tormented, right? But I think also... I think he's trying to distance himself from the false power and say, hey, here's the true power, right? Like sometimes you can feel like somebody's kind of tagging along that you don't necessarily want to be associated with. And I think Paul's going, we're not associated with that that false power. We're associated with the truth and with the ultimate power that we find in Christ. And so he sets this girl free. But now, of course, this turns into a problem because the girl's owners realize Wow, we were making a lot of money through her gifting. Now she doesn't have this demonic spirit anymore, and she can't tell the future anymore. We're going to lose all that money. And so they drag them before the leaders, and the crowd joins in, and it says this in Acts 16, 23, after they had been severely flogged. Everybody say flogged? They were thrown into prison. Everybody say prison? And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So this is a nightmare. Quickly, this has come to uh, when life throws its worst at you, right? And so question number one, what will we do when life throws its worst at us? Now, Paul and Silas are going to do something that's going to be an incredible example to us. As they're beaten and imprisoned and in a jail cell, chained up, they're going to do something. Now, here's the thing. 
Uh, this is a really famous passage of scripture. So some of you are like, oh, I know exactly what's about to happen. And I almost wish none of us knew. Those of us in the room or watching online who don't know what's about to come, it's such an advantage for you right now. Because a lot of us are thinking, well, I could probably respond positively if I was going to get the same outcome Paul and Silas got. But listen, Paul and Silas didn't know they were going to get that outcome yet. And I, the question is, right now, when life is at its worst, what will we do? Some of us right now, maybe we're not literally in chains, maybe we're not literally beaten, but life has a way of imprisoning and beating us down, beating us down in different ways. What will we do? Well, let's find out what they do. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. Everybody say praying. And singing hymns to God. Say singing hymns. What will we do when life throws its worst at us? Paul and Silas are like, we're going to pray and we're going to worship God. We're going to pray and worship God. And this is just not our default, everybody, just so you know. It's not our default. My dog, Chewy, he's about three years old, weighs about 20 pounds, uh, has this bone. It's like his main bone that he chews on. It is hard. It seems like it's all gnarled and sharp and gray and just like he just goes after this thing. And he strategically, I uh, promise you, leaves it in places that we will most easily step on it, right? Like blends it in with the gray carpet. He's like doing physics behind the couch on like how, you know, where to put it and how it's going to hurt most. And it's kind of like stepping on a huge Lego, you know? And so the other day I come in and I step on that bone and then I take another step to another bone and I step on that bone. And I'm just saying in that moment, my default is not Jesus, you are glorious, Lord. You are an awesome and wonderful God who has done all things, right? Like it's painful, right? And as soon as life throws its worst at us, I mean, that's just a tiny little inconvenient pain that healed within moments. But what do we do when we're at our worst and life is just broken us? I love that Paul and Silas from that place, in that place, pray and they worship God. And I just want to say, this kind of seems like, oh, what a noble thing to do. They prayed and they worshiped God. Listen, it's a great thing to do, but not just because it's noble. Listen, it's your life source. It's your life source to bring to the Lord your worst moments and to worship him in those moments, not just because he is worthy of our worship then, which he is, but also because singing out those truths recenters us. It refocuses us. It puts us back to a place where we're thinking straight again, right? Because I know who the Lord is and he's got me. And so we've got to pray and worship when life throws its worst at us. It's for us, but it's also for others. And that kind of leads us to this next point. It says in the next part of the verse, and the other prisoners were listening to them. We can never forget, listen, that while we're in our prison, the other prisoners are listening. How does God want to use us when life throws its worst at us? While we're in our prison, we've got to remember others are watching, others are listening, others are looking at the brokenness in our lives and saying, how are they going to handle this? So for several months, we were praying for Cindy Scarallo, and I asked her family if I could share this. As, as many know, she passed away, and I just wanted to let you all see something that I got to see firsthand, and that was the way that she and her family walked through that time when life threw its worst. At her funeral, her kids and her grandkids got up and all talked about how everyone in the hospital fell in love with, her, with their mom and grandma. Because through it all, she was praying, she was worshiping, she was telling people about Jesus, she was loving on the staff, she was kind and courteous, as she's literally on her deathbed. And her family walked through it in the same way. And at the funeral, they all got up and talked about how God is still God, and God is still good, and as hard as this is, and how it's not the outcome we wanted, he's still God. And I'm just saying, others were listening. Others were watching. 
And they knew that. And so they weren't fake. It wasn't like they were putting this on. They were mourning and grieving appropriately, but with their eyes on Christ. And that's what it looks like to be in the midst of your prison cell, in the midst of your beating, and still continue to pray and worship because, yes, it's going to recenter you and refocus you, but there's other people listening. It goes on here in verse 26. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. I think it's kind of cool that everybody's chains came loose, not just Paul and Silas, which again goes back to the point that while we're in our prison, our praise and our worship can actually loosen other people's chains. Other people can find hope in Jesus. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that at Cindy Scarallo's funerals and her, their, their interaction with her family, people came to know Jesus. And so while she's worshiping in her worst place, as her family's worshiping during this hard time, others are coming to know Christ, and you and I have the same opportunity. Again, I'm not saying be fake. I'm not saying we pretend that we're really good when we're really terrible. We can be real, but we can be real with our eyes on Jesus. Amen? goes on. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. You see, the Roman law in that day said that if uh, you as a as a jail guard, let your prisoners escape, then you are going to be punished in the way that they should have been punished. And so he's like, I want no part of that. And so he's ready to take his life. And it goes on, but, but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Here's what I want you to see. We all believe that God uses mighty miracles to draw people to himself right? I mean, the prison doors opening and the chains falling off, all that stuff, right? Like, that's a huge miracle that drew people to Jesus. But do you know what is just as much a huge miracle? Was their pre-miracle testimony. It was them in that jail cell praying and worshiping. That was just as powerful. And I would say, if you're here today and you're like, but we didn't get the miracle or it hasn't come yet, I think the Lord can use your pre-miracle testimony or your, if I could put it this way, no miracle testimony just as powerfully as if someone is healed, as if someone is saved and rescued out of a horrible situation. Man, people are listening. I love what Henry Ironside says. Read this with me. The world is watching Christians. And when they see Christians shaken by circumstances as they themselves, they conclude that after all, there is very little to Christianity. But when they find Christians rising above circumstances and glorying in the Lord, even in deepest trial, then even the unsaved realize the Christian has something in knowing Christ to which they are strangers. How can God use us when life throws its worst at us? People are watching. People are listening. Be real. But let's be real with our eyes on Jesus because Chains are going to fall off other people. Others will come to Christ in powerful and amazing ways. Let's go to question three. So far, we've seen what to do when life throws its worst and how God can use it. But let's go to question three. How can I be saved? Verse 31, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. It's through our faith in Christ. It's through believing and trusting in him that we're saved. It's not taking a membership class. It's not, I mean, come to church, but it's not even showing up on Sunday. It's not works. It's not what you do. It's not keeping a bunch of rules. You're saved because of Jesus' amazing grace for us, and we just trust in him and believe. But everybody say that word, that last word in that verse, household. Say that. I love that. File that away for one minute. It goes on. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. Say household. 
I love that second time we hear it. Let's keep going. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Say household. It's so powerful. You see, in Scripture, and especially in the New Testament, there are often times where we see God moving in whole households. And guys, we got to be praying for that. God, save my parent, save my child, save my spouse, save my sibling, save my grandchild, save my grandparent. we got to be praying. And it's not like my household is saved because of my relationship with Jesus. You know, it's no, Kelly, Cade, Bryn, Landon, myself, we all have our own relationship, our own personal relationship with Jesus. But I love to see the Lord moving in whole households. And we saw it last week in Lydia. God did the same thing, save Lydia and her whole household. And so, man, let's be praying and believe in the Lord to be rescuing whole households. Verse 35, when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. Yeah, you think might be a good idea to release them, right? Like, like you put them in prison, there was an earthquake, everybody's chains came off. Maybe release those, release those guys, get them out of there. Uh, the jailer told Paul that they could go. Paul goes, wait a minute, we're Roman citizens and we weren't treated rightly. We want an escort. He has a little fun with it, I think. So they come and they get an escort and they're escorted out of the prison. And then Paul and Silas go to some more cities, more people put their trust in Jesus. And I want you to jump to Acts 17.5 as I just summarized a whole bunch for you. It says, but other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. Now, they couldn't find Paul and Silas, but they did arrest Jason. And then it says, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. Everybody say Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures. Everybody say examine the scriptures. Man, you guys just are not very energetic with these repeats here. Come on. Uh, every day to see if what Paul said was true. I love this. Question four, what should be my filter for all of life? What should inform my decision-making, my choices, my values, my beliefs? It's the scripture. I love the Bereans' example here. They're like, oh, wait, Paul's saying something, but I want to make sure the scripture says it. Paul's saying something. Let's check this. Is this right? Is this what the word of God says? This should act like a filter for everything else. So I got my trusty dust buster here. Also, it's a bee buster, so I'm excited about any more potential bees coming at me here. But um, I love this thing because once a week, somehow, some way, 7,000 of my daughter's oatmeal flakes end up on the kitchen floor every single week. I don't know how it happens, right, Brent? Like, we don't know how it happens. No, it's it, like when we leave, I, I'm convinced that there are some gremlins that go into the cabinets and like turn the thing upside down and lean it against the door. So when you open it, right? And so once a week, and I love this thing so much, but what's great about it is it has this filter, right? Because I want the air to flow through the beginning, through the filter, and into the motor, because that's going to keep the thing running. I don't want the oatmeal flakes to run through this, through the filter, and into there, because it will destroy this. And in the very same way, we have so many thoughts. There's so many different ways to think. There's so many thoughts out there in culture, and you, your own feelings, your own emotions, your own experiences, right? And everybody's trying to say something, and we just need to filter it all through the Word of God, because we do want truth to come through. 
But all that other stuff that's trying to get through is going to, in the same way, it's going to destroy this motor. It's going to destroy our hearts, our souls, our relationship with the Lord. So we've got to filter it all through, right? Culture says this, but what does it say in God's word? The podcast says that, but is it in the Bible? The Christian book guy wrote that, but is it actually in the word? The televangelist said so and so, God, right? Like even me, like us here at church, like it better be in the scriptures or we've got nothing for you. And so be like the Bereans, right? There's so many thoughts. We're going to see in just a minute that where they were was like this cultural melting pot with all these different beliefs and thoughts. And we can't let just culture's thoughts and our own emotions and our own feelings and empty words or endless news cycles, everybody. Listen, if we know CNN or Fox News better than our Bibles, we're in trouble. Who got quiet on that one, right? We got to know the word more than anything. If you don't know how to... Like study the scriptures. We're here to help you. We've got one-on-one discipleship. We've got Bible studies. If you are just like, I don't know how to figure this all out. What do I? I hope you know. Like in our church app, there's a button on the very bottom. It's not the baptize you in one shot button, like I was joking about. It's the study button. Hit the study button, and you will find devotionals. You will find videos. You can go begin to learn about different topics. You can go with real basic stuff or real deep stuff, and you can grow in your understanding of the scripture and what God says. It's vital. It's so incredibly important, especially in the days of misinformation and where computers are trying to take over the world, right? Literally, Uh, Last night, I told my wife and I texted our staff. I said, guys, I got an email from AI saying that they will write my sermons and I can focus on the important stuff in ministry. (laughs) Literally, last night, I screenshot it and sent it to the staff. I'm like, great, guys, my week just got a lot easier, right? Like, you believe it? Like, no, we've got to continue to study that we will never have an AI write a message, by the way, okay? But we have got to know God's word. It is the filter for everything else. It says in verse 12, as a result, many of them believed, also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews of Thessalonica learned what Paul was doing, or or that, excuse me, that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. Then Paul sent Silas and Timothy away and he stayed And here we get to question five, and I love what Paul's about to do. So we've seen what to do when life throws its worst. We're going to worship and pray. We've seen we've got to remember people are watching and listening. We've seen where salvation comes from. It's believing in Jesus alone. And we've seen how important it is to filter everything through the word of God. But question five, how can being a student of culture, say student, and not just a critic, say critic, of culture help us point people to Jesus. Paul does this beautifully here. Verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Athens at that time was the cultural and intellectual center of the Greek world. Full of idols, full of all kinds of thoughts, right? It goes on. So he reasoned. Everybody say reasoned. Doesn't say argued. Doesn't say picketed. He reasoned. There's respect in reason. There's conversation happening, not just, ah, right? And he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicureans, say Epicurean, and Stoic, say Stoic, philosophers begin to debate with him. And so the Epicureans believe, you ready for this? Sounds a, little, sounds a little bit like our culture today. They believe that pleasure was the greatest good. They believed the gods took no interest in human affairs. Many of them were atheists. Everybody say Stoics. They believed in self-sufficiency and rationalism. Again, this stuff sounds a lot like our culture, doesn't it? They also were pantheists, which means they believed that God is everything and everything is God. So 
hello, God, right? Like everything you look at is God and God is everything. And I love what Paul does here. He doesn't start a rally against the culture. He doesn't have a big, you know, gather the Christians together and we're going to just shake our fists and yell and talk about why we're right. He's wise and he becomes a student of the culture. And look at what it says as he's talking about Jesus and different things are happening. He says, some of them ask, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So Paul is just like up in their face, but in a loving, respectful way, like right in there saying, here is how you get saved. Jesus is alive. He died and he rose again. I'm just going to bring it to you. I'm going to be a little bit up in your face, okay? So a few months ago, my daughter Bryn is playing basketball in a playoff game. And so we travel upstate. And while we're there, we notice that there's this local sportscaster guy that our family thinks is awesome and hysterical and wonderful. And he's sitting right about over there by Joe Lutz. And I was too uh, embarrassed to go ask for a picture. So I took my phone out and I'm trying to selfie me and him into it from like, 50 feet away, you know, and I'm trying to do it in a way that he's not seeing me. And so I'm like all doing this and everything. And then what I don't realize is that this poor lady sitting next to me, my phone is right in her face like this. And I just hear her going, oh, okay, all right, oh, okay. And which I'm thinking, obviously I'm taking this selfie over here and she's thinking I'm taking like an, a zoomed in photo of her facial epidermis, like right here, you know? And eventually I explained to her, you know, I'm so sorry, I was all up in your face here, right? Like, and Paul is up in their face, but here he is saying, this is why I'm in your face. I'm in your face because Christ is alive and he's the hope of the world. And it says in verse 19, then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know this new teaching, uh, excuse me, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. So everybody say Areopagus. That's pretty good. They were the authority in Athens on things like education, religion, and morals. And so here are some like thinkers, man. These are some smart guys. Okay, and here is Paul, and he's going to be just so smart. He could have stood out there and just said, Areopagus, you guys know nothing. You're so stupid. You're so, how could you not believe in Jesus, right? Here's what he does instead. You are bringing some strange new ideas to our ears. We would like to know what they mean. All the Athenian and the foreigners who live there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So these guys are all about what's trending, okay? If it's trending, they want to know about it. They just sit around and talk about it. Verse 22, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. So he knows that about them, but he's about to say, look, religion is one thing, relationship's another, right? Knowing about religious things is one thing, but knowing Jesus is another. We're going to get more into that next week. Verse 23, for as I walked around and looked, so he took some time. He walked around and looked at their culture and the things that they were into and worshipped. He says, I carefully looked at your object of worship, and I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So there's all these altars, and they have all the names of their different gods written on them. But there's one that just says to an unknown God. And Paul jumps all over that, and he goes, you know that unknown God? I know him. I know him. And he wants to know you. And I just love that Paul was a student of that culture. Guys, this is what missionaries do so well. Before they go to India or Asia or Africa, what are they doing? They're studying the culture so that when they get there and they open their mouth, they're saying things in ways that relate to the people there. And then for some reason in America, instead of studying our culture, we just rail against it. 
man, we'd be wise to begin to learn how to speak the language that people speak so we can, like Paul, say, hey, here's a thought. This is something right out of your own culture. I'd love for you to think about this for a minute. And it doesn't mean we worship the things they worship, right? Paul didn't get down on his hands and knees and begin to worship the altar to the unknown God, but he used it as some leverage to reach the people there in that space. And I just want to say to you in the crowd today or watching online, do you have an altar to an unknown God? What does that mean? Are you following somebody you don't really know? Are you spiritual, but you don't really know what that means? Like, you're spiritual, but, but who's leading you? You're spiritual, but, but who are you actually talking to? Um, are you just trying to figure out a way to make yourself look you know, better in your own eyes so that if you do stand before God or a higher being one day, you're, you kind of feel a little bit like you got a shot? Or, man, can I tell you today there's such a better way? You can know Jesus. You can have a relationship with God because he died and he rose again for you. Paul then goes on and he preaches. He preaches a sermon here. It's not a long sermon, but it's powerful. And what I want to do, rather than kind of like breaking it up and going through it little bit by little bit, I want to just read it. Maybe I'll comment a little here or there, but I want us to read it together because it's just so powerful. So there should be some amens flowing from the crowd here as we read this because this is great. I love it. You ready? He says, so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. And here he goes. He jumps into this message. Read it with me. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He's going, you guys have all your little gods here in your temple that you've built. Our God, man, he's so big, he doesn't live in the temple. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives him everyone, life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him, we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, here he goes again. He's, he knows their culture. He knows their language. It's, it would be like me quoting song lyrics today to relate a message to you. And here's what he says. We are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. He's going, our God is so much greater than these little statues you guys have made. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And I love this last line. He's given proof of this by everyone, to everyone, by raising him. Who's him? Jesus from the dead. That'll preach, man. That's a mic drop right there at the end of that because he just like compacted all this truth into that paragraph of this story of a creator and a savior and a rescuer and a judge and all of this coming together in one person. And then the last verses we're going to read today. And thank you, guys. I know we've tackled a lot today. Thank you for being awesome through it. Here we go, verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, which is awesome because now you got this guy who's over the education and thought of this area now knowing Jesus. Also, a woman named Demarius and a number of others. I just love that Paul was like, I want to reach the culture. I don't want to just rail at it and, and shake my fists at it and push everybody away. I want to reach them with the hope of Christ. What have we seen today? What will we do when life throws its worst at us? Man, we got to pray and worship, not just because it's noble, but because it's our center 
It's what brings us back. It's giving all of our pain to the Lord. And that's where healing comes. Listen, you know, I, I got a bandage on my finger here. And at the end of the day, you know, you going on vacation after a really horrific season in life is a band-aid. You going and buying a sports car after a horrific season in life to try to fill that void is a band-aid. You know, you investing all this time and energy and all kinds of stuff you're trying to cram into your soul, it's just a band-aid. You and I, through prayer and worship in the worst times in our lives, we need to be recentered and healed and reset and restored and delivered and picked up and held. And that's gonna happen through our prayer and our worship, even in the worst times. How can God use us when life is at its worst? The other prisoners are listening. About five or six rows back in the first service today sat the Chung family. Last Sunday, their 14-year-old son died. I got a message after church from, her, from, from Mrs. Chung. Isaiah died today. I walked with them all week long. Funerals, being over at the house, spending time there. And here's what I can tell you about the Chung family, and I got to tell them this in the last service, that... Although they are appropriately grieving and mourning, the scriptures tell us that we do grieve, but that we don't grieve without hope. And I was going to be doing the funeral services Thursday and Friday, and on Tuesday, Mrs. Chung called me and she said, Doug, please tell the people that we have hope. Please tell them, as mo- although our hearts are broken, we have hope because we know where Isaiah is. Isaiah means God saves. We know where he is. And so I got to thank them in the last service and say thank you for while you are in the worst of your life, for keeping your eyes on Jesus and pointing us and others to Christ. And so you and I have a similar opportunity every time we're in the midst of our prison cell. How can I be saved by believing in Jesus? It's his sacrifice alone. What should be my filter for all of life? Be like the Bereans, the word of God, filtering all the garbage out and all the truth in. How can being a student of culture and not just a critic of culture help us point people to Jesus? I think we now, instead of pushing people away, we're reasoning, we're having conversation, and we're knowing where they're coming from and using some language that speaks to them and reaches their heart. Next week, we will continue this series. But this week, if we walk out what we heard today, we will pray and worship when life throws its worst at us. We will point people to Jesus when life throws its worst at us. We will believe in Jesus for salvation. We will filter all things through his word, and we will be students of culture who speak language that points people to Christ. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you, Lord, that you love us. And Father, we thank you that you have a great plan. I even think of that person on the stream earlier who said they wanted to take their life, and we just pray for them in the mighty name of Jesus that you rescue them and you give them hope and purpose. And Lord, I thank you so much that you have purpose for all of us. I would love to just pray with you. Please don't tune my voice out. Let's pray together. If you're in the worst time of your life right now, would you just raise your hand? Or, 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 or one of the worst times. If life has thrown its worst, would you just raise your hand? Nobody's looking at me. I just want to pray for you. Lord, I just pray for all those with arms up right now. Oh God, come through. Come through for us, Lord. We come to you and we pray now. We come to you and we worship now, right here in the midst of it. We ask you for help. Reset us, restore us, deliver us, save those that need saving, deliver those, free those that need freedom. Meet us right here. Jesus, help us, God. I encourage you, if you have your arm up now, just continue to bring to him whatever the worst is. 
loves you and he cares for you right in the midst of it. If you're here today, in the midst of it, can I pray that we would remember that the other prisoners are listening, the others around us, there are eyes on us. So Lord, we just pray for your help, God, as we're in chains or we're beaten down or we're feeling imprisoned, that God, we would keep our eyes on you that we can be real and we can appropriately grieve and, and we don't have to be fake, but God, that we would go through it with our eyes on you and that others' chains would come loose. I want to pray for you now if you'd like a relationship with Jesus and I invite you to pray. I invite you to invite Jesus into your heart and to begin a relationship with him by believing in him today. Would you pray with me if that's you? Jesus, be my savior. Rescue me from my sin. Thank you for dying in my place and giving me hope. Jesus, help me to know you, not just be religious. May I know you and help me to walk close to you. If you're here today wrestling with some thoughts about what is true, what is not, I have these emotions, the culture says this, oh God, would you help us all filter it through your word? And God, lastly, help us to be students of culture and not critics, God. Help us to love people enough that we're willing to, to look at their lives and, and hear their voices and and speak and with respect point people to Jesus. Even if we have to get up in their face a little bit like Paul did with the truth that we would do it through respect and, and, and in a courteous and loving way, truly wanting them to know you, Jesus. So help us, God.